So welcome everybody to today's In The Know episode, the premium podcast for financial services. Today I'm delighted to be talking to Ian Gibson, who's the managing partner at Evelyn. Great to see you today Thanks in the flesh. Yes. Yeah, good to see you again. First question then, Ian. Evelyn, Evelyn. 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 Yeah. Okay. Evelyn. Okay. Do you want the history behind the name? I, I do, <clears throat> because I did a little bit of jenning up. Mm-hmm. Okay. As you do. I yeah. like to know about my guests and a bit of history. And I noticed that Evelyn is quite close, or Evelyn Gardens is quite close to Roland Gardens. Mm-hmm. And I was just interested <laughs> why they didn't say, call it Roland rather than Evelyn. Yeah. Could you imagine the guy being in the marketing department and saying, let's go for Roland? I don't think it would have happened, though. No, probably not. So when we were bringing what was Tilney and Smith and Williamson together, we, we I think pretty early on we realised that we couldn't remain as Tilney, Smith and Williamson. It was just too much, too much of a mouthful. And from um, a domain name and internet capability, email addresses just, just didn't work. So there was um, a group of individuals far cleverer and brighter than I that sat together and did a bit of research on our combined history and one of our founding partners from uh, Glasgow, Scotland, relocated to Evelyn Gardens mm. in London, hence Evelyn Partners. Excellent. Okay. And let's just talk about you, if we can, then, a bit of your history. Mm. Um, can you just give the people that don't know you a bit of a potted history in terms of your background, where you've been, etc., and how you've ended up at <coughs> Evelyn? Yeah. So, hmm been in the profession now as the grey hair will indicate over 30 over 30 years I think it's nearly 35 now um, for the majority of that I've worked in uh, financial services businesses either owned by or partnering with a professional services firm chartered accountancy practice prior to that I was the director of an insurance financial services insurance broker in Sheffield um, before that, I was with Abbey National IFA, and in back in the day, I was with Legal and General Direct. Wow. Yeah. So that was 1988. Wow. And how did you get into the industry? Because no one plans, do they? Or no, did you? Or you? I, no, I certainly didn't plan. Right, okay. No. So I was in retail at at that time and working ex what I would call exceptionally hard. So leaving the house, you know, five o'clock in the morning, getting home eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night six maybe seven days a week three young kids something had to give it was either marriage or mm. career and I'm, I'm not sure really sure I had a career but I was quite you know I was relatively senior within the business that I was in but it was becoming clear to me that I was I was seeing not seeing the kids which they may say well actually that was a positive yeah. but you know that 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 was that was how it was so I had a friend who worked for Legal in General, and they were effectively taking people out of industry and training them on a self-employed basis to be financial planners, it, it, salesmen, really. Mm. Um, and I thought, well, what what have I got to lose? So gave them a notice, started, and then for the next two years, effectively spent a lot of time learning how to fail v- very well because I was, you know, in in my early early start, not very good at what I was doing. 
Um, but the, the, the skills and the disciplines that I learned then, when I did become good, still work today. Okay. Tell me more about that start then. So when you say you weren't very good, yeah, what parts were you not very good at? Listening. Really? Yeah. That yeah. surprises me. Yeah, so wasn't very good at... Li- well, it, it, it may not surprise you now, but then it was all about tell. And I thought telling is the way to sell, and it's not. Listening to your client and hearing about what they want is far more important than what, you know, ha- look at me how clever I am. It's not about that. It's mm. understanding what their needs are and then saying, right, okay, I can help you. Here's how I can do it. And it's, you know, two ears, one mouth. Use them in that ratio. And did your then manager pick up on this as well? Or is this something that you learned that you needed to, I had, to work on? I, I can relate to a very, what I will describe as a car crash of a sales presentation meeting. And I got debriefed uh, by my then sales manager and said, right, okay, how do you think it went? And I knew it had gone badly. And they said, look, you, you are trying too hard, in effect, to tell all the technical knowledge that you've got, but you're not listening to what the client wants. So it was then a matter of, right, okay, role-playing, understanding, practice, practice, and eventually it becomes second nature that you learn that, that silence is one of the most powerful things that you can have in a meeting and let the client speak. Yeah, it's very important. And how did you react to that feedback, though? <laughs> in in those days, pretty, pretty. I didn't take it well because I thought I was, you know, pretty polished, looked the part, played the part. So it it was a bit of an ego hit. Um, but eventually, when you you sit back and you you think, right, okay, this isn't working my way, you've either got to change or realise that this is not going to work, and you'll be back to retail working silly hours again mm. which I did not want okay so you adapted and you changed yeah yeah I think you have to yeah I think you have to and I I, I would say that I do that now you know I don't think you can be right that's what I'm going to be um, and I you know always talked about you've got to be a professional chameleon you've got to adapt to your surroundings and change as as you need to do you think there's a there's a danger of being a professional chameleon and and potentially not knowing who you are, or can you do can you do both? Do you know who you are, your core principles, but adapt? Because sometimes people lose themselves, don't they? Yeah, uh, getting what I would call getting lost in showbiz. Yeah, yeah. So y- yes, you can, but I think if you you know yourself well enough, and that you have right, okay, these are my core principles beliefs and i'm not going to stray too far away from that but you can then adapt personality um Mm. how you approach a scenario differently trying to get a better outcome either either for me the business or for the client um and there's also a recognition that sometimes i will walk away from a situation because i know i'm not that the right individual to either be dealing with you know, uh, a client or a technical matter. I've got far cleverer people than I am within the team to say, right, okay, I'm going to step step back from this. You take this on, please, because you're a better fit for the client, and we'll get a better outcome. So less ego then. Now more yeah. about the client. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. 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 I mean, I was. You know, 
I suppose very very young very eager and you want you want to make your impression and I learned pretty pretty early on luckily that you you know just tone it back it's not about you it's about the people that sat on the other side of the if there if there is a desk in in the room and are you giving that advice now to the people coming through the new yeah. generation yeah because there's a real gap on on sales training I I think that you know I had the benefit of effectively two and a half years of, of really good sales training and grounding by legal in general but there were other firms that provided it and I don't see that now you know it, it, a lot of it is provided by you know people of my age people who have set up specialist sales training businesses because those basic skills that still stand you in good stead where you're starting out now or back in you know back in the day when I did they still work you know it's still about activity and discipline and learning your elevator pitch and making sure that you're comfort confident in in how and what you put across do you think there's a because I felt this for a while that there may be a, a stigma between sales and financial planning because of the what's happened in the past mm -hmm. and to consider yourself a salesperson and to learn the art of being a salesperson do you think that there is a bit of a stigma within financial planning because of the background the history of perhaps salespeople not doing the right thing for the client yeah i think i think less so now than than you know maybe 10 or 15 years ago i think there has been a lot of change within the financial services marketplace that have driven out some of those sharp practices so i think that it's it's less so now but certainly you know people would either call themselves or they would hate to call themselves salespeople when they were. Mm. Now I think you can be uh, both, both a salesperson and a planner. And you do a lot of training yourself then now, or do you bring in experts to help with that positioning, the elevator pitch? How do you do it from a development point so of view? So we've, we've got an internal team at Evelyn Partners, um, but we also do coaching locally. So it's important that when people do go away from their initial training, that they feel that they've got the support locally, that they can say, look, I'm not enjoying this or I'm not doing well with this. How would you do it differently? Um, we, you know, we, we had a session in the office uh, a few weeks ago about pitching fees and, and how we would do it. And it was uncomfortable for some people. How come? Because they're just not used to it. The, the, f the fear P of pitching, pitching a yeah. fee okay. at yeah. a certain level um, it's quite a challenge when you've not, never done it before. So I think you know it's, it's making sure that people understand the perception of that fee is in their head, not necessarily how the client would value it. Mm. Let them make that decision. That's the fee for the work. I guess it's perception of value. Isn't yeah. It? What what you're actually getting as a client. Yeah. As Sh well. Show them that you can add value by either improving the scenario, saving them you know a considerable amount in tax, and they'll see the value. If you don't illustrate that then they will find it a challenge to think well, why should I pay that when I don't know what I'm getting do you think that's a bit of a British type thing though talking about money and fees ah, stiff upper lip and all that sort yeah. of stuff anyway, talk about money yeah um, no I don't think so because there's no issue with it in a, in a professional services firm which is where I, mm. you know, I really learned oh, they can pitch that and the client doesn't bat an eyelid mm. but I would go and talk about you know 
complex matters and you think mm, do I do I dare I yeah. and professional services no issue whatsoever and rarely did they get challenged on fees so it's all all in here it's a mindset yeah absolutely yeah, it's a mindset it's yeah. a belief system that you're worth what you're yeah. charging because you are ultimately creating a plan saving the money creating tax solutions for them it's a, it's a good positive yeah yeah so that brings me on to, to Evelyn what, what's the best way to describe the business so I would say full service professional services client focused firm um, and that goes from I suppose with, within group we've got our best invest platform for clients who don't want to engage on a face to face basis we've then got um, Evelyn Partners Financial Services so for clients who want to engage on a face to face basis and then we can model a solution from an investment perspective model model service portfolio model portfolio services disc, full discretionary uh, and then we've also got our professional services colleagues so private client tax services audits everything that you would expect from you know typically a big four uh, accountancy practice Evelyn Partners can provide and to cl I think this is always a difficult question um, or the answer is quite difficult but if a client w was to say well what makes you different to the others mm -hmm. the other the other three how would you how would you talk to a client to talk about what makes you or Evelyn different or better than yeah. the others our, our USP yeah. so I, I think it's the fact that we can genuinely and, I, and I, I, I do mean this genuinely that we can put three exceptionally qualified and highly experienced individuals in front of a client to talk about financial planning strategy the underlying investment strategy and then the tax strategy that will wrap around all of that to make sure that all three of us, I'm say us collectively, are working in the client's best interest at all times, and our advice dovetails. Now, I think that there are a number of firms where you'll get two out of those three, but there are very few firms that will give you, if any, in the UK, the, the service that we can provide. And do you measure client service, retention, etc.? Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty high on our list. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, so it's 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 important that we deliver to our clients what we pitch to them at outset, and we actually like to know if we get it wrong, because it's more important for us to learn from those issues, um, because we won't get it right a hundred percent of the time. But we can when we do, do when we do what I what I would say drop the ball. It's important that we pick it up quickly, recognize it, let the client know that we've identified an issue put it right almost even before they know mm. and then say we did this there's the resolution you're almost not affected but we want to disclose to you that you know this is this is what we've done so with, with regards to clients then ian um is is a it's, who owns the client relationship so when there is a problem mm -hmm. where would a client turn to if there are three people looking yeah. after different parts of the the process mm -hmm. where if i was a client where would i turn to to say there'd be an issue etc and who normally if that's true does somebody normally manage the relationship yeah. like an account manager yeah so good question we would always appoint where we are acting either as a two or as a three a lead point of contact so first of all the client will know 
a who that is but b the team that sits behind that individual mm. so that if they aren't contactable for any reason there will normally be either two senior people that will then step up plus the admin support that sits behind so a client will always know right that's my initial point of contact mobile email etc however they want to contact us and everybody else will then be copied in okay and in terms of when you say it's really retention's really important to to the business um do you assess the, the client retention what do you go through as a process to understand client retention do you do feedback documentation do you annual yeah. approach how do you sort of demonstrate that you are retaining those clients and they are so there are dare I say client satisfaction surveys that, that, that go out and, and we will actively seek feedback on how we approach matters how we deal with certain scenarios so that helps us understand our clients better um, I think one of the, the key facts is that a significant proportion and I mean a significant proportion of, of our new work is from existing clients so if we weren't maintaining that satisfaction level and delivering to a high standard in today's world those clients given you know their value and their worth they'd be going elsewhere hmm. um, and we we do as a firm and also locally we do an awful lot of client bank management so where we we know that people need capacity and there's opportunity to maybe refresh a relationship we'll introduce new people to that relationship manage that over time so the client still gets the quality of service but it allows people to grow you know, either from a growing up or growing out perspective in terms of, you know, widening their base. I just wanted to pick up on that because I think um, I read something on the website and life is more certain when it's powered by good advice. Mm -hmm. So it's a good statement, but is, is, is it a statement that is believed in throughout the firm in different aspects of the process? Yeah, I think it, I think you know we were, we were very careful when we came up with our you know mission statements and how we were going to effectively rebrand our business to take it forward. We were very careful about how we wanted the perception of the new business to be, and and good advice is the cornerstone of everything that we do. And sometimes it will actually mean giving that good advice and walking away, just just to say look we are not the firm for you mm. um we'll happily find you somewhere where we think that you might have a better relationship but this is our core business this is what we do best you you don't you don't fit and rather than trying to you know fit square peg round hole we would far rather engage a client on you know uh, on the right basis rather than try and right okay we can do this this way and we can do this that way if it's not right for us it's not right for us is is that when <clears throat> clients perhaps don't believe in advice as well so there's a there's a mismatch in terms of what you believe in and what you're trying to do and, and clients perhaps don't want that I, I think there's 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 the advice and you know we touched on earlier the advice and the value you know seeing where um the advice point is i think people can see that when you then have a conversation about right okay i've got the knowledge and the skill and this is how i'm going to apply it and my fee to do that is that's sometimes a challenging conversation yeah okay and at the moment i um i sat down with an economist a couple of weeks ago 
one of these round tables are getting mm-hmm. invited and he was actually a really engaging guy but he was doing um, an update on the autumn statement and he was basically saying for the next two years the economy is pretty flat he wasn't really expecting any huge growth mm-hmm. um, obviously we've got a, a change in uh, potentially a change in government who knows um, but from your side what are what are clients looking for at the moment what's trending what's What's the need for clients at the moment? Would you say? I think it, it very much depends on on what the the client's objectives are, um, and they will range from capital security, capital preservation, little or no risk, to effectively I've got um, a, a tranche of money that I can deploy. I don't need to access it. I want you know full equity participation, and I want growth because I can afford effectively t- to lose it. So it's making sure that, you know, we as professionals listen to the client and say, right, okay, I hear what you're saying, but are you actually prepared to do that? So it's it's trying to manage the downside and say, right, um, markets will do what markets do. You know, there's little or no control that we can apply over them. We can give you some some steers as to what a house view is, where we think that the, 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 the key assets that you should be invested in are. But the reality is, if a client isn't prepared to see those, you know, bandwidths of volatility, then we should be saying, right, okay, we need to have a talk about taking risk off the table or putting more risk on the table if they need capital to achieve a certain return. Um, so, I, you know, in the main, to answer your question, they want the money to grow. Yeah. But they want their money to grow within a reasonable bandwidth. Yeah. Without taking under your risk, which I don't think is is you know uh, unnatural, and I think if you sat most clients down, they'd say, "Yeah, I want my money to grow, but I don't want to lose it." Do they tend to be quite sensible decision making sort of process with with clients, yeah. rather than the volatility of oh, rising inflation, Ukraine, you know, etc. I need my money out now, etc. Is, is it, does it tend to be quite? They look for reassurance. Yeah, there's a reassurance aspect, but I think that the the type of client that we're dealing with are reasonably uh, experienced with both running businesses and they see how economies and economic policy impacts them. Widen that out to the, 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 the UK and then the global economy, they've got a fair idea of what's going to happen with, with markets. Um so it's then just, you know, right, okay, you're experienced, we can do this, we can demonstrate our track record. It comes down to the trust element of do they think that we'll deliver? Um, and, you know, fortunately, we've got that track record that we'll, we'll, we can readily show to clients, yep, yeah, we're good at what we do, trust us. We, you know, we'll manage and we'll go through the process of making sure that your portfolio and your strategy is right for you but, but trust us in that process. Mm. And what is a typical client who's the, you know, the target clients that you're looking for? Who would they be? What do they look like? So uh, owner-managed businesses, uh, entrepreneurs, people that have both created wealth and are looking to you know, invest that and manage it for the next stage of the journey. There could be people who are on the, the accumulation trail, you know, just setting out, fellow professionals, you know, people who haven't quite made partners in professional practice yet. We, you know, we'd love to sit down with those sorts of people and say, right, okay, this is your journey to partner. This is how it looks from a financial perspective. 
because we you know without blowing up we we do a lot of it and we we talk about right okay this is your journey when you're going from employed to self-employed these are the 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 tax things that you're going to hit and working with our professional services colleagues we're able to signpost the little things that can become quite important if you don't get them right Mm. okay I, i want to um talk about culture Mm-hmm. It's a big thing. Yeah, everyone talks about culture. What is culture? Yeah, what is culture? I, I, when people ask me about my business, tell me about your culture. I always think it's very subjective, you know. Um, yeah, and I do my best to explain what I believe the, the culture of my business is. But I had a conversation um, with John White a few weeks ago. He was talking about culture, but he was talking about culture from a uh, a perspective of working within accountancy firms whereby I sort of paraphrase a little bit he was saying that the best cultures were the ones that had already added an embedded culture mm-hmm. and at accountancy firms which was his background is where he probably found that there was the embedded culture and everyone knew what they were doing where at the moment they're, bu- they're buying loads of businesses and it's all you know it's it's more challenging mm-hmm. how do you go about building a culture within your team within Evelyn, within a larger business, which is an amalgamation of different companies, anyway. Yeah. So uh, it's a, it's a challenge, no doubt about it. Um, and I think it starts at, at the top, and you have to set you know a, a clear vision of where you want the business to be. Give the the direction and the ability for the people that work with you and around you to influence how that culture develops. So, you know, certainly Evelyn Partners and certainly locally, it's it's important that everybody has a voice. You know, we will all talk as a, as a, as a leadership team locally and we will come across, right, okay, how do we do this? How do we do that? And we will make a decision based on, you know, what is going to get us the best outcome as either individuals, as a team, as an office, and how do we then grow that within Evelyn Partners? Um, so it, it is a challenge, but I think it comes down to people wanting to to make a change for the better, mm. and and you know really improving on where we are now or where we were now as a business to where we are now, and you can see the massive strides that we've made, um, both internally and in, and externally. Um, and it's having that that vision, sharing that vision, communicating that, so people can understand it. Because if they don't understand it, they're not going to buy into it, and you're not going to get that. This is our culture. This is how we work. This is the Evelyn way, in effect. Is it um, something that is also used in your performance reviews? Again, how you demonstrate culture and the behaviours aligned to that? Is it, mm-hmm. is it something which is embedded into the business from a, a learning and development and? a performance issue yeah we are all about empowering our people um, and personal development plans are a big thing certainly for me so anybody that comes into the the office will have a a a chat about right okay what do you want to do where do you want to be what support can we give you might not actually be anything to do with what what their role is but it's important that we understand that those are the ambitions of that individual and that we can say, right, okay, we can help you with that. We recognise that. And because we are such a big business now, it, it isn't necessary that you're going to stay in that role and within financial services, investment management, or uh, professional services throughout your Evelyn Partners career. You can move 
between all three. And it's giving people the vision that you can actually see, right, okay, I, I can stay here rather than thinking, right, okay, I'm going to be here for two, three years and then I'll go somewhere else to achieve and, you know, helping, well, I would say, helping stop that merry-go-round of two and a half years move, two and a half years move, two and a half years move and ultimately end up where they think they want to be. Mm. So this is about supporting people through their career? Yeah, very much so. Um, I would rather invest time in people to help them overachieve and stay within our business than let them go to a competitor yeah. and think, you know, crikey, they're great, but they should be great with us. Yeah. And do you think that's changed over the years in terms of how much time now we spent on personal development, almost professionalizing yeah. financial planning? Yeah, I, th I think that, you know, a number of years ago there was none you know there was no there was no or very little say none very little planning time very very little time to develop a a, a plan to help improve it was very much self-driven so professional qualifications you know in the in the 90s and 2000s if, if you were sitting you know advanced papers um, you were almost seen as abnormal you know, oh, why, really? why, why, why would you want to do that? Yeah. And I think it's now, you know, now, if you aren't chartered or a fellow, that's the, the the bit that's different. And people need to, you know, people are aspiring to those higher qualifications, higher levels, levels of prof professionalism, which means that they need the support around them to help them achieve both from a, a, a personal development perspective, professional qualifications and success in their role. Because we were talking off camera weren't we about the next generation and you know we we, we do now live in a society where it's, it's now everything is now now, yep. now 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 how do you balance that with the the sort of the younger generation that you manage in terms of that you, you, progression sometimes is not linear as well sometimes mm. you have to go back as you did you know you had to take a, a step out of the industry find something you had to listen yeah <laughs> and, and learn yeah how, how do you man how do you balance that with perhaps you know the 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 younger people that you're managing at the moment where they're almost like they've got to earn their stripes if you know where yeah. i'm going from and and understand that it's not like you can do this and then within a week you're here and then you're here then you're managing partner it, it will take time how do you balance that it's 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 interesting so i, I can relate this because I, I had a conversation with one of the team earlier well later last week actually um an individual who's nine months qualified, very bright, r you know, got a long-term future within our business, but they were becoming agitated because they felt that they were tracking behind their peer group. So, I, you know, I, I could see that they were going to become disaffected to the point that they may consider leaving because they didn't see opportunity and avenues opening up they were going to be behind in the pecking order so it was it was just sitting down with the individual and saying right okay talk, talk me through where you thought you'd be nine months post qualification well i thought i'd be where i am mm. okay talk me through where you thought you were going to be four years ago oh i didn't have a clue i said well four years ago you started your training program with us and this is where you are now nine months post qualified roll the clock forward another four years where do you think you'll be oh well 
don't really know. I said, right, okay. So I know, I know you're ambitious. I know you want it now. I said, but the fact is that you're going to have to invest. We're going to have to invest together to get you to where you want to be. Trust that we've got your best interests at heart. Yes, there'll be challenges. There'll be speed bumps, but know that your future is here. And I think it was it, it was almost the realization of I've only been doing the the job properly for nine months. They haven't seen that. They just mm. thought I want it now. And it's maybe opening eyes and and perception a bit to say, look, I get it but you need to do this and these are the milestones that you need to reach before we as a business and any business to be fair will consider you for that particular role or promotion um and it's may maybe just you know putting a bit of an arm around and say look come on let's go and have a pint let's have a chat don't do anything silly come and talk to to me talk to your, to your line manager let's have that conversation because if they are you know that talented we certainly don't want to lose them yeah it's very hard to recruit quality as you know as, as i know yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's been hard the last 20 years yeah. to be honest yeah it's, it's not been easy do you think this is a generational difference though or do you think this has always been the case because you know there's lots of we love labels don't we at the moment you know gen z's yeah. millennials boomers etc always always a label but but do you think this is this has always been the case that the generation coming through always want more i think i think genuinely that there is a bit of both i think that anybody that the, the what i would call the youth of today the, the next gen they're always ambitious they always want stuff quickly they always think that us old timers have got it wrong and they can do it so much better um i think in some respects they can but I think that the way that everything is now digitized and, you know, everything is almost instantaneous. If they don't get that, the almost the the need to feel success will mean that they'll go and find that somewhere else. Mm. Um, it's it's quite interesting from a social perspective that, you know, if you if you take, you know, switch off internet and lose a phone and lose an iPad and the, the uproar that it creates it's unreal and you know I never had that when I was growing up it was all about you learnt from on the job you know there were no podcasts or you know little clips that you could see people doing experience you went out and you did that learnt it on the job yeah sometimes I think there's a bit of an irony in terms of financial planning because you're talking to clients and you're talking to them about a process and it's long term and you're thinking about that and mm. suddenly they're looking at it so well yeah I, I, I want promotion I want this I want that so it's like sometimes you, you, you talk to your clients in a, in a calm and yeah. you've got to do this and then we look at that and then these are the stages you will naturally go through yeah but sometimes, you know, I, I get it in my business that people think, yeah, I've, I've done this for, you know, six months a year. Right. What next? What next? And, yeah. You know, it, 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 there is a lot of resilience to become better and better each day. It's, it's not easy. But I think it's just managing those expectations. I think communication is the key to this. Just managing yeah. those those expectations and communicating. Um, and sometimes, naturally, there'll be a disparity in, in yeah. terms of where they are, where you think they are. But that, that's life. I think that's we just have to handle that. Yeah. And I think as long as you've had that open dialogue and you've been clear to both the individual and honest to both them and yourself about wh where they sit in terms of progression, then 
most people I think will, will react well to that and ultimately it's their choice then to say right okay yes I'm happy and I'm going to stay and I appreciate the inward investment support etc or do you know what my future lies elsewhere and if that's the outcome I wish wish anybody the best um, and if they're that good we'll, we'll, we'll take them back yeah Come back. Yeah, yeah. 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 it's important yeah, yeah. that you know people leave on the right terms that they think of us as somewhere that they've genuinely learned, improved, developed as an individual and as an as a professional. Because if something for any reason you know doesn't pan out, if they're that good, we will gladly take people back. How big is your team at the moment? Um, yeah, so twelve financial planners. Seven investment managers and then support staff of probably 20. Wow. Each. Keeps you busy then. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. You're looking good. You're looking well. Oh, you're so kind, James. You're so kind. It's the lighting, uh, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, makeup helps a lot. <laughs> um, I actually enjoy it. Mm. You know, um, I think that if I didn't have the same uh, passion and the enjoyment out of helping both clients but the team I'd have probably said right you know enough's enough mm. um, it, you know there are challenges and there's, I refer to speed bumps but it's getting over those and looking at you know the long term vision you think right okay yeah I know where I'm going here you can all come with me and I'd love you to do it um, and I'm very fortunate in that I've got some super talented people that make my life so much easier um, and without them, you know, th then it would be difficult, and I probably would be having a conversation with myself about, mm. yeah, not not going to work today, or or not as the case may be. Do you think you found your purpose? Mm, that's a good question. Have I found my purpose? This is the role that I get the most fulfilment from. So if if that is finding my purpose, then probably yes. Um, but I still enjoy seeing clients as well. So that I, st I still have that mix of, you know, l seeing the process through so that I can relate to some of the issues that the team are facing when we've got, you know, IT or techie, techie stuff that, that goes wrong. But then from a, an organisational perspective, trying to overlay that and say, right, okay, this is where we want to, to grow as a business. This is where we need to invest. This is what we need to do. Effectively setting a five-year five plan and reviewing that so that, you know, it, it does happen but then for me it's important that I find succession for what comes behind me mm. because I don't just want to shut the doors or walk away and say right okay that's it you know I care quite quite a lot about the success of the team so that it it carries on and I've got you know the ideal people to help me do that do you so here's a question for you is it the success of the team or the success of the company because you've obviously got those personal relationships haven't you with yeah. your team that you want them to do well mm -hmm. and companies in a company so I always think I, my business is my business I absolutely love it yeah. you know? um, but obviously you're a larger organisation so do, do you look at it and go I want my team to do well rather than I want the company to do well or is it somehow well I think this goes both. back to your point about culture and uh, yes I want my team to do well but my team can influence how the business does and that then helps you know develop a culture a successful culture of 
you know, trying to achieve, doing the right thing. Um, so very much a local focus, but with, you know, a national perspective that, you know, regionally, what's happening in Manchester, what's happening in Newcastle, what's happening in Liverpool, who's doing well, what you're doing differently, how can that impact us locally? So picking up and listening mm. about, right, okay, maybe we could do that here. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, let's try it, f fail fast, move on. And Evelyn, they're open to listening because that's really quite an interesting answer that that mm -hmm. you care about your team, but they can also influence. So assume from that that the people in the higher uh, sort of management chain are open to, to listening then. Yeah, very much so. I'd, I'd be concerned if they didn't. You know, if it was very much a, a, a top-down, this is how we're going to do it, I, I think, yes, we'd, we'd, be, we'd be successful. But I don't think that they would develop our culture in the way that they want to. And I would certainly probably not have the team that I've got because it's important to them that they're heard. If we look to the, towards the future then, so before you leave, <laughs> talk, talking about succession planning, yeah, I I've had some really interesting conversations with people about what the future looks like over the next two to five years, mm -hmm. and the advent of artificial intelligence, what the advice sector may look like. What do you think this sector will look like over the next sort of two to five years? Yeah, so I th I think that we've we've gone through and we're still going through massive consolidation. I think that that's going to continue. I think that there's probably going to be a growing, what I would refer to as an advice gap. So people who probably need it the most won't be able to, to get what they really need because they, they don't have the means to pay for it um, unless their employer is, is, is you know, a, a profitable and, and a, almost a... a a philanthropic organisation that said, right, okay, we're going to put in some financial wellness, financial well-being um, structure for you. So I think that the need for quality professional advice will remain and grow, but I think it will be driven by professional services, interaction with discretionary financial management and, and financial planning strategy. So businesses like ours, and there'll be others that that work alongside us will become, you know, the cornerstones of the future, I think. What does it mean by advice gap? Because everyone talks about the advice gap. It's like net zero. <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> yeah. I just think, what what is the advice gap? Because I originally thought, is it because there's, there's not enough advisors? Or is it a case of actually there are enough advisors, but perhaps there isn't enough advice for those people who can't afford advisors? Yeah. It's a term that gets... I think, I think it's around. down to cost. Yeah. You know, I, I think... You know, this the stuff that we do on a pro bono basis that we we you know we should probably think right maybe maybe we should be doing more of this, but ultimately we, we've got to pay the bills. But there there is you know a certain sector within um, the working community that have no access to to advice, can't afford to pay for advice. Uh, they're probably the people that actually need it the most, um, and have little financial awareness. So they get themselves into you know situations where, with a little bit of help, and I know citizens' advice do some of this, but with a little bit more help, they could maybe avoid some of it. Mm. Um, so that's that's where I see it. Uh, and I think once you, you know, you get into a, a certain 
level of employment, then you'll get some financial benefit through your workplace. But then paying for advice outside of that, some people will find a challenge. Did I read somewhere the FCAI look, are looking to do something with simplified advice, change the the rules or the regulations to allow it to... Because at the moment there's a bit of confusion about what's advice, what's guidance. Mm -hmm. Are they trying to look at that to potentially plug this advice gap? Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they are because mm. I think, you know, the guidance and advice effectively, you know, if you give advice, y your reputation's on the line guidance effectively we're not making any decisions we're not telling you what, what we can do so i think if you if you are looking to to close that advice gap then there has to be some sort of solution there but it's not something that is at the forefront of my mind no i think it's i think it's interesting though what's going to happen over the next two to five years yeah and so you're thinking larger firms multidiscipline working with clients etc yeah do you think that potentially reduces client options? Because if we've got three or four dominant forces, for example, mm -hmm. do you think that's good for clients or do you think there is not enough choice? Because what I'm seeing now is the consolidation, but people are now spinning out to create more regionally focused businesses. Yeah. So they've been bought, acquired, they don't like it, um, they've been paid handsomely, and, and they go and set up again. But yeah. this time what they're trying to do is create that personalized advice which where perhaps it hasn't been able to do under a bigger yeah to be a bigger banner but you know do, do you think that's a that could happen so you could have you know options for clients you can go to your your bigger firms you can go to your regional firms like it used to be back in the day i, I think it, it that there will always that that will always be there i think the reality is that there are those those individuals who are entrepreneurial and maybe earn their effectively seed capital as part of a larger organization as you, as you said spin off into something smaller s more niche more bespoke sometimes it's a lifestyle thing that you know mm. that they don't want to be on that corporate treadmill f for for the length of time that they may foresee but i think they'll they'll always be the ability for choice um and it really depends on the people you know it'll still be a people business how do you engage with somebody and how, where's your best relationship almost irrespective of the firm that, that sits behind that individual because if you buy that person trust them and you can effectively say right okay he she will will look after me then that's the biggest decision made yeah so you still believe in advice then there's yep. going to be advice needed yeah. for people who need advice, yeah. and we're not going to be replaced by I AI. I don't think so, no. I mean, I challenge any AI to get inside my head and <laughs> figure out figure out how that works. Well, yeah, I, I, I mine, it's just the mess. It's spaghetti. I, I did speak to somebody, and they are bringing in some technology. I mean, the US have got some technology, which they're bringing over to the UK, where they are effectively are creating retirement plans using virtual headsets. Mm -hmm. So what they're actually doing is to, because I'm quite a visual person, they're actually putting headsets on clients to say, this is what your retirement could look like yep. if you invest X amount mm -hmm. over a period of time. I think that's quite interesting. That I mean, it could be used in nefarious yeah, ways yeah, as, yeah. as a you yeah. don't invest enough with us, <laughs> then you yeah. could be you know, uh, destitute. But I, I, I do see where that potentially could help 
visualize for me thinking Massively. about what, what does my retirement look like? if you have yeah. that on you think oh my god well, it, quite it scary it goes, it, it, well yes and no but that's just advancing from back in the day we use a pen and a piece of paper or a pencil and say right I'm going to draw you a picture of this is what the future looks like mm. this is just a different visualization of this is what the future looks like the fact that they can probably make it extremely real and uncomfortable for the individual and it's it's then does that disturbance really you know go too far how do you how do you regulate about what is going to be seen and and perhaps felt by putting a headset on Mm. quite interesting it's gonna happen Mm. the guy i spoke to was an applied futurist right okay (laughs) i had to google that (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) applied futurist that looked good on a business card yeah it's 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 good but I, i think um you know ai is certainly here to stay but i think it could be Certainly, for the first you know couple of years, embedded in the process to yeah. look at productivity gains, etc. Yeah. To speed up processes, I think that's the the replacement bit is where I think. Well, when do we start being replaced by AI, etc.? Because it all depends on the programming as well. Yeah. Who's programming the the AI that's looking after you? So yeah. I think um, people like advice. People like that personal advice still. Um, Obviously, in financial planning, in recruitment as well, they do like to sit down and just talk about. It's important, yeah. You know, it's it's and I go back to it. It's that listening piece, you know, and just saying right, okay, talking about what you want to achieve. I'm not here to you know talk about anything about Evelyn Partners, but let's let's understand about you. How can we help? And let 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 them talk. So that at the start of your career, that feedback mm-hmm. in that presentation didn't go well. Yeah, you need to listen that served you well yes yeah yeah listen in you know absorb and then decide right okay what are we going to do with that information just think if you didn't have that feedback <laughs> what could have happened <laughs> yeah yes oh god no it does, it does not bear thinking <laughs> back to retail yeah. <laughs> yeah no okay well that brings us to the the top of the hour um Ian Gibson, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. pleasure. It's been interesting as well to hear your experiences, what you've uh, gone through and the, the listening bit. You learn something new every day. Yep. Thank you thanks. very much, Ian. Yeah, thanks. Enjoyed it.